Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, Jessica Smith, Rachel Kay, Kim Hokinson, Tracy Steeb, Jan Elise Cannon, Jamie Lang, Maria Carla Sanchez, Jill Harrigan, Valerie Jacobson, Heather McKinnon, Chantel Oliver, Tamzane Weir, Caitlin McTaggart, Lindsay Cummings, Eric and Carolyn Chumway, and CJ Obrey. Katie. Hi, Olivia. I am going to play you a song. Oh, lovely. I've flown around the world in a plane. I've settled revolutions in Spain. The North Pole I have started, but can't get started with you. Around the Gulf Coast, I'm the fire. In England, I'm presented as Love it. Love it. That was I Can't Get Started With You, recorded in 1939 by the Anson Weeks Orchestra and performed by a singer named Frances Fox. Okay. Now, Frances Fox was an astonishing talent who our listeners may know a little bit better by another name, Dale Evans. Oh, And there's probably a generational divide here among listeners of people going, of course, and people going, who? Ah, I'm going who? So Dale Evans is arguably the most famous cowgirl in American history. She was known as the Queen of the West, and she was famously married to Roy Rogers. Wow. And was co-star of the Roy Rogers show. Wow. I am now embarrassed that I haven't (laughs) heard of her. (laughs) Well, again, I said generational divide. I think I I somehow grew up in the same house as you, but very aware of Dale Evans. So I'm guessing that I was doing a lot of listening to Dale Evans with Mm. our grandparents, perhaps. Maybe. When you were very young. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, what I'm annoyed at is that I have heard of Roy Rogers, no problem, but I haven't heard of Dale Evans. And that's part of the problem that we're going to talk about today. Huh. But mostly, this episode is going to be a very transparent excuse to play clips of a lot of absolutely amazing music by this absolutely brilliant woman. 
Are we going to find out why she changed her name from the very elegant Frances Fox to Dale Evans? Or I assume Dale Evans is the real name and Frances Fox was a stage name? The other way around, which is baffling. What? I'm going to yell about this a lot slightly later in the episode. Okay. Weird. I want to be named Frances Fox. I know. Frances Fox is the best name ever. Dale Evans. I'm Olivia Mickle. And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's Your Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. So our guide on this fun musical adventure today is the wonderful Teresa Kaminsky. My name is Teresa Kaminsky, and I write histories of scrappy women in American history. For over 25 years, I taught history at a state university in Wisconsin. I do have a PhD in history, so I've been academically trained in history writing. And she is the author of the wonderful new book, Queen of the West, The Life and Times of Dale Evans, which is getting rave reviews. Publishers Weekly called Queen of the West an illuminating and definitive biography, and I couldn't agree more. It is fascinating and a wonderful ride. And as Teresa Kaminsky points out, most biographies of famous figures begin in childhood. Mm -hmm. But where you decide childhood begins and ends is also an interesting question. And for her, I did have to really pick up when she was still a fairly young teenager because that really was when her adult life started as much as we might disagree she was by all accounts a very headstrong young woman by the 20s you know this was the time of the flappers short skirts short hair women who were out in public much more and when she became a teenager, she really thought of herself as a grown-up. She liked to borrow clothes from her aunt. She had her hair permed. And by the time she was 14, she had met who she thought was the true love of her life. He was 18, she was 14, and they eloped. Wow. Okay. So her childhood ends very early because by 15 she is pregnant. Wow. And by 16 she is divorced. It had been a hasty marriage. They were both young and it didn't take long before her husband decided he just didn't want to be married anymore. Frances was devastated. You know, here she is 15 years old with a newborn. But luckily, she had a very supportive mother who lived with her, helped raise the baby. And they came to the agreement that Frances would get some additional education because she never finished high school. Um, she left to go get married. So she enrolled in Back then, they were called business colleges, but of course, they, they weren't really colleges. They were, I think, what most people would refer to now as secretarial schools. 
She did very well in the business course. She went and she got a job while her mother stayed home with the baby. And she was adamant that she would be able to take care of her child. She is working as a secretary in an insurance company. And when her boss isn't around, she would sit at her desk writing song lyrics and trying out Ah. songs, singing to herself her songs. One day her boss heard her and instead of getting angry at her, said, you know, you have a really nice voice. Would you like to sing on the radio? She said, yes, of course. This was in the 1920s. It was in the still kind of the early days of radio. And a lot of stations were still just local. You know, individual cities and towns had maybe one or two, maybe three stations. And she got a taste of singing on the radio. And she started to build a bit of an audience. She always figured radio would be her first entree into stardom. But she didn't see herself ending there. She was always very optimistic about what her future might bring. Her big dream always was to appear on Broadway. Her goal was to get east, to get to New York City, and to be on stage. She went to Louisville, Kentucky by the 1930s, and um, it was at the station in Louisville where the program manager said, you need a stage name. She was born Frances Smith, which is, you know, kind of boring. Uh-huh. Her married name is Frances Fox. Fabulous. Which is fantastic. Yeah. But she wanted something catchy, memorable, impossible to misspell, and she lands on Dale Evans. Fascinating. I feel like Frances Fox might have had an entirely different career than yeah. Dale Evans did. It makes me wonder if, like, it, Francis Fox is so elegant to us today, but maybe it sounded old-fashioned or something back yeah. then, and maybe yeah. it was, like, new and edgy. Or... Yeah, it was fresh. And... Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, by the sort of mid to late 1930s, I think the only people left calling her Francis would have been from her own family. She moves back to Texas for a while. Because always central in her concern is the welfare of her son. And she is watching how he's responding to all of these moves around the country. And she eventually realizes that he is the happiest with his grandparents in Texas. Mm. So she moves back to Texas. When she was in Dallas, she also married again. He was a piano player. And he was a composer, playing for different radio shows, composing and sort of orchestrating music. So when they talked together about a future, they did see themselves, again, heading out east to Broadway, where she could be the singer and he could do the music. So they, they did work together very well. 
Broadway is the goal. Broadway has been the goal for young Frances Smith Foxdale Evans <laughs> since she was a tiny girl. She wants to be on Broadway. What's Broadway like in the 1930s? Is it like she want to be in musicals or is she it... wants to be in musicals? She ah. wants to be a stage musical star. Okay. Huh. And Broadway in the 30s is magic. I mean, this is what many people still see as the golden age of Broadway, right? Cole Porter, George Gershwin, Jerome Kern. Mm. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. And they desperately want to be part of it. But she and her husband are also practical. This is the height of the Great Depression as well. And they know that New York is a big, expensive leap. So they decide they're going to try Chicago first. Oh. Chicago turns out to be a great idea. She is performing with well-known big bands like the Anson Weeks Orchestra She's singing on the radio on both WGN and WBBM, which are powerhouse radio stations. They were huge markets at the time. And she's performing in the very fancy, very famous nightclub, the Chez Paris. Ooh. And she's doing fine. (laughs) Audiences like her fine. But she is not making the impact and not having the reaction that she wants. She wants to be a superstar? She wants to be famous. Okay. She wants to be the best. And audiences seem to feel she's just pretty good. So she takes the opportunity to ask one of her fellow performers at the Shea Perry, a kind of well-known guy named Ray Bolger. Oh, wow. Audiences now may know him as the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. One of the most famous song and dance man stage and screen stars of the time. (laughs) And he is also performing there. So she asked him, what am I doing wrong? And he said, well, really, you're not doing anything wrong. He said, you know, you've got a nice voice. You're cute. You've got all that going for you, but really, what you probably want is your own song. You know, you're doing covers of other people's songs, and that's fine. But you need your own song. She's been writing songs her whole life. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of permission. So she and her husband go home. She has her accompanist on call at all times in her house. I do, too. They go home. Weird. Yes. We're both in that situation. It's a uh-huh. very handy thing to have. <laughs> so they go home and try out a song that she's been working on for a while called Marry Me, Mr. Laramie. <laughs> the premise of this song is the old Irish tradition that on leap year, oh. women can propose to men. Okay. They perform it and it goes... Very well. Audiences really enjoy it. Ray Bolger says that that was close. It's great, but it's not quite you. That was too body. Huh. You're not body. You're the girl next door. You need to tone it down a bit. And I think it will be perfect. And in fact, I will perform it with you. I will be Mr. Laramie on stage the next time you perform it. Interesting. 
And the audience goes nuts. They love it. She has found her niche. Now, we don't have a recording of Dale Evans singing this song, sadly, but I did manage to track down another recording of this song. Oh! Things are looking up for Dale Evans. Her reputation for the show just went up. People in Chicago were talking more about her. While she was singing on WBBM, that station was broadcasting and, and other CBS affiliates were picking it up. And so an agent out in Hollywood heard her on the radio. He was really taken with her voice. And he starts sending her telegrams saying, I want to represent you. You need to come out to Hollywood for a screen test. I have the perfect film for you. Paramount is looking for someone right now. You have this perfect voice. You would be so good. Come out, come out, come out, come out. Wow. She talks to her husband. Well, it's not Broadway. But Hollywood is pretty good. Yeah. So off Dale Evans goes to California for her screen test. You know, this is the early part of the 1940s. So jet travel is not like it is today. It was a very long flight. It was a very bumpy flight. She got sick. She gets off the plane and she does not look like the photos that she had sent to this man who wanted to be her agent. And he takes one look at her. And he is not very happy with what he sees. And she knows it. She's under no illusions. And she's also, she's also worried because she's in her late 20s by this point. And she knows that you can't be in your late 20s. Like she's old for Hollywood. <laughs> and she looks sick and awful. So, whirlwind makeover scene. In the montage here. Uh-huh. <laughs> he books her hair appointments, fashion appointments, everything. And off she is whisked to the studio to meet the producers. Where everyone loves her. And, you know, she is just like this sort of Alice in Wonderland at this movie sound stage. And she's seeing all of these stars and she's starstruck. They are fawning over her. They are delighted this is going as well as it could possibly go. 
And then at the end of the meeting, he asks her the question that kills the whole deal. He says, can you dance? Rivkin says, oh, of course she can dance. You know, no question about it. She's a great dancer, great dancer. And she says, uh, actually, um, I cannot. Wow. That's surprising honesty. Yes. I mean, she, she knew, I think, since the role they were considering her for was to be paired up with Fred Astaire. Oh. <laughs> that this was not something that she'd be able to fake. <laughs> you do not want to be a... I can do a decent waltz paired up with Fred Astaire <laughs> for your acting debut. So the the casting director is not happy with the agent and he realizes though that it's not her fault. So they do go ahead. So she does get her chance. She does her actual screen test. They give her a scene to do with a fellow actor. They have her sing a few songs. And when it's over, she flies back to Chicago and tells her husband, yeah, I'm out of the running. You don't need to worry about it. It's not happening. And she, she never expects to hear back. And so she is very surprised. And I think he actually called her with this news. It was sort of a good news, bad news thing. Paramount passed. But he got a copy of the screen test and he took it over to 20th Century Fox. And he said, they looked at it. They loved it. You're going to Hollywood, baby. And they will give you a one-year contract. Hmm. So, in 1941, they packed up and moved to Hollywood. Wow. She did also worry about her family life. And her agent, Joe Ripken, just laid it out for her. He said, you have to lie about your age. You're 21. She is 21, if anyone asks. Oh. And about that whole having a son thing, if she's supposed to be 21 and she was 15 when she had this child in real life, this child is biologically impossible yeah. for the lie that you're telling. Rivkin asked her if she would agree to present Tommy as her brother. This she would not agree to immediately. She had to talk it over with her son. He said it was fine with him if she needed to do it, but he did tell her that he would not lie if, if he was asked directly, he would not lie, but he would not volunteer information. Ooh. And this is the uneasy balance that they stay in for years hmm. regarding this relationship. She is the doting older sister supporting her younger brother. Mm-hmm. She makes a few movies for Fox. She did great. But they didn't renew her contract. They said she was too much like Betty Grable. And they already had a Betty Grable. <laughs> so they didn't know what to do with her. 
again, the one slot problem that we keep talking yeah. about. We already have someone who vaguely looks and acts like you. So obviously you are useless to us. So that's a problem. But another problem for her is that it's 1942. And World War II has broken out. And her agent goes off to the war. Hmm. So she now has no representation. And Fox scraps her first big feature film. This was supposed to be her big break. And they can the movie. And she would talk for years afterwards about how everything might have been different mm. if the war had not intervened and if that film had gone to release. She did get picked up to be on a very, very, very popular radio program. <laughs> Makers of Chase and Sanborn coffee, the superb blend you know is fresh, present the Chase and Sanborn Hour, and your host, Don Amici. The Chase and Sanborn Show, often better known as the Charlie McCarthy Show. This is Edgar Bergen's famous Charlie McCarthy ventriloquist act, which still, to me, inexplicably had a extremely long radio run. <laughs> Of ventriloquism. <laughs> okay. But this was one of the biggest radio shows of the decade. Weird. Edgar Bergen, Candace Bergen's father. I mean, this is a massive get. And she is a recurring featured singer on the Chase and Sanborn show. This is a major coup for her. And she then did get back into the movies and here she kind of went in a different direction because she ended up in 1943 at Republic Studio, which was sometimes referred to as a, a B-movie studio. This was the studio that tended to make movies that kids like to go watch on Saturday mornings, you know, the forerunner to those Saturday morning cartoons on television. fun those are some of my favorite all the best They're great fun yes. horror films are the b-movie horror films yeah and she does go from being a little fish in a very big pond to being a big fish in a little pond mm -hmm. she is featured in movie after movie after movie huh a big song and dance number in a john wayne movie really in old in old oklahoma huh but what she liked doing best was musical comedies. And that's what she thought her real forte was. A little bit of romance, a lot of singing. And she loved doing those kinds of movies. She wants to be sophisticated. She wants to be glamorous. She is singing with jazz bands. She mm. is, she wants to leave behind Texas and be elegant Hollywood. The sophisticated New York or Hollywood mm. singer. And here she is being dumped in a lot of westerns. And westerns are bad? Well, as she was very aware, westerns are wonderful for making stars of men. Ah. Westerns 
have not done anything for the careers of women historically. Good and she point. is very worried about being pigeonholed into this role that is A, not what she wants to do, and B, kind of a career killer. Interesting. So she was very distressed when the head of Republic, Herbert Yates, paired her up with the other big star on the Republic lot. And this, of course, was Roy Rogers, who already had this huge, huge following for his singing cowboy movies. Ah. He tries several times to put her in a movie with Roy Rogers, and she and her agent keep getting her out of it. Interesting. Because she really did not want to get stuck in cowboy films. But, you know, this is the 40s, and the head of the studio is the closest thing to God Almighty in the movie industry, and you can't say no forever. So finally, she is cast as the Senorita in The Cowboy and the Senorita. <laughs> Wait, this is Senorita, the... like, is she supposed to be Yes, Mexican? she is the seductive Mexican dancer. Oh, oh dear. Who does this... <laughs> fabulous song which i know the song i didn't know this was from this movie called besame mucho kiss me a lot mm -hmm. basically it is a male gaze fiesta in which roy rogers stands on the steps and watches her perform and we watch roy rogers watch her perform okay it's a great song Audiences loved them together. And Yates figured he had this great winning combination, and he kept putting her in movie after movie with Roy. And she kept trying to talk him out of it. He sometimes would try to placate her by saying, well, if you just do one more of this, I'll do this. And, of course, it never happened. Now this is what she does. That kind of set off a struggle with her professionally and a little bit personally over her goals and how she wanted to achieve that stardom. What she wanted to do, how she wanted to be perceived, and what she is allowed and perceived to be doing. Hmm. Don't ever fall in love with a cowboy Cause it's this way in the West No matter how much you love a cowboy He will love his horse the best Now he may tell you he thinks you are pretty 
his dress But he'll buy his horse a new blanket Cause he loves his horse the best When the moon is bright and he is by your side He will Just say, wow. delightful. And she really is unhappy about this. Until... Her life did change personally and professionally when her relationship, her personal relationship with Roy Rogers changed. He lost his wife. Um, She died shortly after giving birth to their son. And after he became a widower... This was when their relationship personally started to grow closer. She had been trying to move away from him professionally and then just found that she couldn't do it. She was divorced by this point. Yeah, presumably. that's it, several years earlier had broken up. Okay. And then... While waiting on horseback to enter the arena at a rodeo in Chicago, Roy proposed to Dale Evans and then galloped quickly into the arena before she could say no. What? (laughs) This is the famous story of their engagement. But she was on board. (laughs) And now that she is personally invested in Roy Rogers and his image and the whole thing they're doing. She's a lot more reconciled to this role that she has in these films. They got married in, in 1947 and were pretty much inseparable from that point on, except Dale had some projects of her own And I think that the way that she managed to do that makes a good argument for her being kind of a a celebrity role model for other female performers coming later because, I mean, she was this real powerhouse in terms of what she did. I mean, she was a singer. She was a songwriter. She was an actor. The reality is his career is going to dominate and channel hers Mm. for the rest of their lives. It's the Roy Rogers show, not the Dale Evans show. But they seem to be extraordinarily happy. This is his third marriage, her fourth marriage. My darling, now that I've met you, I never will forget you, not even when we're miles and miles apart. And I'll be straight as an arrow, I'll ride the straight and narrow, because you've got a rope around my heart. There will be nights when I'm lonely, for you my one and only. But from my word I never will depart. I'll stay right here in the saddle, a singing to the cattle, because you've got a rope around my heart. I'll be a blue. They are blissfully happily married. Oh, I'm happy for them. For decades. Mm. 
I'll ever stray from love's highway onto another's byway, and that's the way it's been right from the The wedding does have one major impact on her life. When one particular journalist was angry that he did not get an exclusive story of the wedding, he leaked the existence of her son. Mm. Now, he clearly meant this to hurt her. He was trying to damage her reputation. Yeah. But it kind of backfired. Really? Yay! They decided they were just going to tackle it head on. Gave sort of a press release, said, yes, this is my son. I was 15 when we, you know, I got married young, had this son. And I think because Roy also already has three children Mm, and she's older now. And I think just because they were genuinely nice people, these are genuinely nice, good people. They were kind of Teflon. Nothing stuck Mm. to them. There was never any major scandal. That's surprising. (laughs) We're a family and America seems to have loved them more. For it. Wow. Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off the beaten track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. And with the launch of The Roy Rogers Show, they become really pioneers of television. They are creating this show from scratch very early in the existence of TV. They are hiring all the writers, all the musicians. Everything is them. They're kind of creating a production company for this show. Is it like a variety show? Like I'm picturing most 1950 shows where it's like, here's a song. And now here's a, I don't know, a skit. Is it no, like that? This is a this is a scripted TV show. This is a scripted Western oh. with train robberies and shootouts. Oh. And uh, I think the closest analog for, for most people now is going to be Woody's Roundup from Toy Story. Woody's Roundup <laughs> on Toy Story is clearly an homage oh. to the, the Roy Rogers show. It's It has rootin' tootin' Wild West adventures. And even I hadn't, this hadn't occurred to me, but the existence of Jesse on Woody's Roundup is totally due to Dale Evans. This was a very unique thing that is actually... Uh. The reason why Teresa Kaminsky wrote this book in the first place. I have to admit that kind of an age admit here that as a baby boomer, I grew up with three siblings and we only had one television set in the house. So there was no going off to watching different shows if you didn't agree with what was on the screen. So the four of us had to agree on those Saturday mornings about what to watch. And most Saturday mornings we did watch cartoons because that was the biggest, that was just the biggest thrill. But every once in a while we would watch something else, something that was different. And my choice tended to be the Roy Rogers show. 
which was being shown in reruns during the late 50s and early 60s after the first run. And I don't really know why it fascinated me so much, but to me it was such a different time and place, even though the stories were set in modern day times, but that whole Western setting. And I think what really kept me going back to that show was the fact that there was a woman who was a main character and she did things. And this, of course, was Dale Evans. And although she did not get equal billing with Roy Rogers on the show, she was there every week. She had her own business. She wasn't a housewife. She wasn't a mother. She was a working woman and she was on equal footing with the star of the show. And of course, as a child, I didn't realize any of this that I would know later, how unusual this was for a woman, especially during the early years of television, to have such a presence on a show. And she sang, which was also a really big thing for me. And not that they did much music in the show, but there was always the opening credits and the closing credits. And, you know, she sat on horseback and she sang the song and she looked really nice. She had this cool costume on. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails She famously wrote the theme song for the Roy Rogers show, Happy Trails. What? A song which I think probably no everyone way. in America knows. Oh my gosh. I did not know that. I mean, and it's such a deep part of Western culture today that, like, out here in the Wild West. We will still just randomly <laughs> sing it to people when we're saying goodbye. Yeah. You know, it's I mean, just like, we, that's how you say bye. We literally do. Wow. I had <laughs> no idea. Them. Amazing. That's Dale Evans. Way to go, Dale. That's cool. It really is telling of what generation... You are, I guess, that like, now that I have equated her to Jessie yeah. from Toy Story, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, oh, you cool. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I realized she's that that's not, what yeah. it was. She's not Bo Peep. She's Jessie. No, yeah, yeah. she's Jessie. <laughs> she's fierce and independent and funny, and <laughs> she's riding and jumping off of trains and having huge adventures. Wow. She's not princess of the West. Mm-hmm. She is queen of the West. Is she doing her own stunt, like things like riding horses? And is she doing she all that kind of stuff? She is riding horses. Huh. She, she did have a stunt woman um, who's doing the really exciting, you know, tipping over trains kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But she, she had to learn to ride. She's from Texas, but she didn't actually know how to ride a horse until she started being cast in these movies. Oh, interesting. So between Roy and the stunt woman and, and the cast, she is learning how to ride a horse. And she actually became a really excellent horsewoman. Ah, 
Steady, buttermilk boy. Hey, slow down to a walk. I want to visit with these folks. Hi. I'm just a prairie canary with a heart that's warm as toast. But somehow I don't want to marry. Yes, I love the range the most. Was Roy Rogers really a cowboy? (laughs) Roy Rogers was actually born Leonard Sly from Cincinnati, Ohio. (laughs) And he was a kid who wanted to be a dentist, but dropped out of school to work in a shoe factory, then moved to California in the 30s to drive dump trucks and harvest peaches, and against all odds, somehow became the singing cowboy movie star. (laughs) Who... Incidentally, renamed himself after his childhood dentist. What? Wow. She creates a personal brand for herself. In a time when that's nearly impossible, women's careers are so managed and controlled in Hollywood at this point. You, You are molded into the thing that the head of the studio wants you to be. Yeah. And she is pushing back every step and and creating this kind of halfway point. She she takes the reins of her own career. She is married to Roy, so she's allowed to do that. Right. She has that star power behind her. But she is very aware of the need for this brand that sells versus Uh, what she wants. It's interesting, though, like because I keep thinking about. I, maybe because you brought up Scarecrow earlier, but I keep thinking like this is the same era as Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. And Judy Garland is the comedic musical actress that maybe Dale Evans wanted to be. But look what happened to Judy Garland. Yeah. Maybe it was lucky that Dale Evans didn't become the megastar that then got m- mangled up by the studios. Yeah, I mean, she, she definitely had this powerful protection Mm. of being married to the king of the west Mm. but then she had to be the queen of the west but she had to be the queen of the west as she was still struggling with this cowgirl persona and she realized not many entertainers actually get a nickname like that so she did know that was important But even in the late 40s and into the 1950s, as she was wrestling with that and and wrestling with, you know, how to present still kind of a glamorous image, she did design many of her own outfits because she had an image of how to make them, you know, Western glamorous. So it, it kind of feeds that part of her that was always very interested in fashion. I mean, if you go and you look at her publicity stills, even from the 30s and the beginning of the 1940s, very glam girl shots. I mean, the height of fashion, and she was very fashionably attired. And she didn't want to totally give that up and hide that under Western hats and boots. So she found a way of sort of infusing her own fashion into that, that I think 
made it consistent for her. So she understood how this all worked together and she wanted to make it work together. She is as fancy as she can be and get away with it. She has a very specific vision of what she wants to look like. Again, this is astonishing that a woman is allowed to do this mm-hmm. at all, right? You you put the clothes on that they tell you to put on, yeah. but she's designing her clothes. She has a, a very good eye for fashion and she creates what I, I think this is the iconic look that female country stars will look like for the next 50 years. I have a and picture in my mind since you, said, since you started talking about her designing her own elegant cowgirl clothes. I have a picture in my mind. You're probably right. Is she wearing cowgirl shirts that have fringe, but they're also bright pink silk and satin? Wow. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely that. She's got amazing Western suits with star pockets that are also perfectly cut. Well, and incredibly flattering. We have so we have this famous annual event here in Ogden, Utah, Pioneer Days yeah. every July. the The mascot, like the icon of Pioneer Days, is what what they call the Whoopie Girl, and she is elegant mm-hmm. cowgirl. And yeah, you know they have the Whoopie Girls every year that are like a master of ceremony of all these events and it's a bunch of really elegant cowgirls wearing pink satin with fringe and curly beautiful lush hair like the whoopee girls here every year are dale evans i didn't know dale evans was the the image maker she invented it ha i mean this is the Reba McIntyre. This is yeah. the Judds. This is the look oh, look at her dress. female country star. Yeah. And she literally designed these clothes herself. Oh, my gosh. Her hat, her cowboy hat, completely non-functional. That yes. That is not. <laughs> no. And like cowboy. perfectly clean and beautiful wow. leather fringe suit. Yeah. Shiny bright boots. I mean, just White fabulous. White that if you were a real cowboy would be dirty in five right. seconds. Exactly. In her 80s, she launches a cable TV Bible study show. What? When that is a brand new thing, and she kind of pioneers that. What will that look like? So when was that? In like the prayer, like in the 70s and 80s on TV. Wow. Elderly Dale Evans led a Bible study and prayer show. Amazing. On the Trinity Cable Network. So the Roy Rogers show is some of the most iconic TV of the era. I mean, this is one of the most famous shows, but that success will kind of haunt them. They both want to do something different. They both want to do something new, but they struggle to get anything fully off the ground after this. People wanted what they had done, Mm. not what they wanted to do. They did launch a variety TV show. It did fairly well. But it lost out to the Jackie Gleason show, and so it was not renewed for a second season. They have a very successful recording career, but they never really get that central star power attention again. Hmm. But maybe they don't mind so much. Their life 
is much more centered in family and <laughs> in their charitable work, in their what they see as their mission in life. So when they marry, Roy Rogers already has three children. She has her son. They adopt more children. Wow. They have one child together, a daughter who has Down syndrome. When she is born, the doctors, of course, as was done at the time, urge them to just leave her in an institution. They refuse to do that. They take her home. Hmm. And when she dies at two years old of mumps, Oof. Dale Evans writes a book called Angel Unawares, which becomes a bestseller and which, along with the rest of her work, she and Roy Rogers' work for the rest of their lives, does a huge amount to change the perception of Down syndrome and disability in general. Wow. And change the way children are treated, change the expectations, and eventually goes on to save a lot of children and families a lot of suffering. They open schools, they start charities, she writes a bunch of books. She runs this cable TV show. Wow. They are just good people. They are just good people. Wow. The one thing she wanted the most to be on Broadway was kind of the only thing she never actually got to do. But... I, I think she was ultimately satisfied. And I think that she gained a different perspective, accepting and celebrating all that she had achieved and worrying less about, well, you know, so I wasn't on a Broadway stage, but I was on a movie sound stage. I I was on television. She and Roy gave away a lot of money and donated a lot of their own time to a variety of causes. And I think Again, her her religious convictions really fueled a lot of that. Her personal experience with the life and death of their daughter, Robin, also was behind that. So the way that she wove her personal life into her professional life was also very, very real and very honest, I think. She had a huge impact on the world on through her charitable work, but even her impact in the media, right? She set these standards. She set these norms. Mm. I was not aware of this. The original Dixie Chicks album yeah. is called Thank Heavens for Dale Evans. Really? She was a really important what? figure for, especially I think for women in country music to kind of make their own way. Here's another thing I find completely fascinating about her. Her life arc explicitly follows the arc of American media. She is right there at the peak of each of these forms. She is a famous radio singer at the peak of radio. She is a pioneer of television. She is right there at the peak of talkies, Mm. right? She is in some of the first singing musical pictures. She is... Then she's in the variety TV show. Yes, she's at the front of everything. You know, to be able to 
be there in the early days of radio, the glamour of Hollywood in the 1940s, and then to get into early television. I mean, it just, to me, it was just all so fascinating. Think of that, that stretch of decades, and it gets passed down from generation to generation. The parents who remembered going to the movie theaters to watch her up on the big screen, they were introducing her to their children on the little screen. Yeah, all the way to cable television. And yeah, so she just she just kept on trend all the way through. And I think if she were able to live this long, she would have been she would have been on YouTube. She you know, she just she would have embraced it all. If her first song was based on an old Irish tradition, then what comes to mind to me is that her life is that old Irish proverb also, may all your wishes come true except one, so you always have something to hope for. Oh, yeah. I think that's really why I find this so important, and I, I hope other people will as well. This, of course, it's also been my life's work as a historian of women to remind a lot of people that there are so many women's lives out there that are worth revisiting. I hope at the end, a lot of people will agree with me that, that Dale Evans was one of those women. This is a story worth remembering. Huge thanks to our guest, Teresa Kaminsky. Visit our website at whatshernamepodcast.com for tons of links, pictures, photos, resources, more great music from Dale Evans, and a bunch of incredible other stuff. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of photos each week. Music for this episode was provided by Aaron Kenny, Jesse Gallagher, Zachariah Hickman, Chris Haugen, Dan Leibowitz, and of course, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. Our interns are Katie Boucher and Livia Foley. What's Her Name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson. And this episode was edited by Olivia Mickle.